Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. The God of Mischief is back and better than ever. Loki. 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 Wow, great to see you again. Critics agree, Loki season two is marvelous, great, and it's finally here. How much do you know? Let's assume I don't know much. A mind-bending adventure. Spectacularly cinematic. I've been waiting for a moment like this. It surpasses all expectations. A little over the top, don't you think? I thought it was spot on. Loki season two, now streaming only on Disney+. Plus. You are listening to Absent Minded. Brought to you by HabsEyesOnThePrize.com Hello and welcome to another episode of Habsons Minded Top 25 Under 25 and we're joined today with Nathan Nye. Nee, sorry, I asked you like two seconds ago, Nathan. I'm sorry for the mispronunciation of your of your name. It's Nathan Nee um, of Eyes on the Prize. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. And uh, don't worry about the mispronunciation. That was pretty much the story of my life from ages 5 to 13. I think they finally got it right in high school. Um, I'm just embarrassed that I, I asked you like literally five seconds ago. So, so it's more that. Uh, and, of course, we have none other than uh, our Welsh correspondent right now, the Cardiff Devils supporter, um, Anton Rossigold. Yeah, I, I totally, you know, I, I understand your situation, Nathan. I've had the same for my entire life. My last name is pronounced Rosegård, Rosegård. And uh, that is basically the same word as uh, as uh, the region in Malmo, my hometown, where Zlatan Ibrahimovic came from. And it's a big crime spot as well in Malmo. So I was always called Ros- Rosengard uh, growing up from like teachers, um, all my fellow students, everyone. So yeah, uh, we've both been in that situation. I have a Forsberg kid in my class. He plays hockey. I'm just going to leave it there. Yeah. <laughs> I actually have a Hagelin as well. So, so it's, it's, you know, it's a mix. You mean Hagelin? Hagelin, yeah, you know. If I really want to, if I really want to draw it out in that North American way, indeed. Uh, he's a defender, though, and a very, very good one. You should keep an eye on him, every scout that listens to this, because he's he's playing with two uh, years older guys already, and he's in what he's in thirteen. So yeah, he should be an interesting guy to follow down the line. Anyway, we're here to talk about other interesting prospects to follow the Montreal Canadiens prospects, and we're getting into the top 10. It's amazing, isn't it? It's, it feels like we started this list last week, Anton, didn't it? Yeah, yeah, it kind of does. Uh, and it feels like we've had a lot of interesting prospects to cover this year. So now we're getting up to la crème de la crème here um, in the top 10 and, and the cream week. of the crop. Yeah, okay, uh, of course it is. But this is still, you know, it's an interesting top 10, and there are a lot of interesting names to to keep an eye and an ear on. And it's great. I think this is your first podcast, Nathan, right? It is indeed. So uh, we expect good things from you, you know. We, we saved the best for last. 
No promises. Anyway, first up at number 10 is... And I've forgotten the name because I didn't... Jake Evans. Jake Evans, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Jake Evans, number 10. Any comments? None. Okay, I'll start. <laughs> He's, he, it's, it's a wide variety of, of, of um, votes coming in here, isn't it? They're going from... Yeah, because of you... You I wasn't the, even the worst. Has him one, at right? seventeen. <laughs> yeah, you were. No, you, you were the worst. Oh, yeah. Again. Yeah. You know, these guys. So I, I think don't it's know about. that you start. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No. Uh, yeah, I think you know he's doing progress. He he's getting there, but I also think the progress is a bit slow. Uh, and also, does he have a higher ceiling than than a, a bottom line usage? And that's why I have him quite low. There are others that I think are higher that have a higher chance of meaning something more for this organization. I um, mean, it's it's easy it's easy to like someone like Jake Evans because he's gone the long long route in coming to the NHL. He was seventh round pick in 2014, and now he's finally on the verge of, of making an impact in the NHL six years later. So. I mean, it's kind of a it's it's a really it's a feel good story with him, and he got his NHL debut debut last year, and he's done two strong seasons in Laval. And the thing with this guy, I mean, this is the year where he ages out, right? So he will. This is his last time on the top twenty five under twenty five, and um, he finishes at number ten after starting at. Uh, he started the first year at number 35, the second year at 35, and now he's worked himself up to the top 10. Um, I mean, there has really been progress every year for him, so we don't really know how high he can actually feature in the lineup. I, I see him as a bottom six center, but um, and that is probably where his potential will, will stop uh, since he's already 24. But if there's anything he has shown is that no challenge is too big for him. Yeah, I, I think you raise. Sorry, you go on, Nathan. I think you raise a good question about whether or not he will, or what his ceiling is, and whether or not he will exceed that fourth line, maybe bottom six projection. And I think one of the tricky questions is that, and it's kind of the same question that we asked, and Scott will kill me for this. It's the same question that we asked about Charles Houdon. Um, so for Evans, he doesn't really have places to go in the lineup unless he shows something that's completely out of the ordinary, especially given his track record. He's not going to go he's not going to surpass Dano, not even as not even as that third center. Because if Dano does get bumped down to that third center position, there is no way Evans is going to beat him out for that role. In the same token, he's not going to beat out Kotkaniemi. He's not going to beat out Suzuki. So your top three centers in Montreal are more or less set in stone. For this injury. season. For this season, barring yeah. injury. So you have Evans, and Evans's main, I guess, objective this year is going to play, is going to be to play 90% of the season in that fourth line checking role, uh, chip in some offense where possible. The main goal is not to get sent back down to Laval. But 
if he does that, does he pigeonhole himself into that role? If he does that, when is that opportunity going to open up? And Anton, you mentioned, you know, he ages out this year. He's 25. Well, how long does he have to wait before a, a top nine slot opens up? 26, 27? Are they, is he going to hit a point where Jake Evans makes Philippe Dano expendable? Like, that's a little bit hard to, hard to see. Yeah. So, yeah. Is, is uh, Jake Evans say, like, really uh, not just another Lucas Vedemo? I think he's well, better. He's, he's better than Lucas Vedemo yeah, right yeah. now. <laughs> but I mean, like, it's the same kind of story. You know, he's in the seventh round pick. Vedemo is a, a, a year later, et cetera, et cetera. And, and they're, you know, they're all fighting for that same spot. Obviously, Evans is better because he's ranked higher, and I think he's better too. But Vedemo has the, he, he's played winger before, and he could probably make that jump into an NHL career as well. But it seems to me like these are very uh, similar players in the fact that they have that bottom three, really. Yeah. It's going to be a yeah. big fight this year for, for anyone that can get in there. And everyone obviously wants to get in there. Definitely. I think that if a player has the ability to play wing, which is kind of ironic given the history of the Canadians the last 10 years or so, but if somebody actually has the flexibility to play wing, there's more chance of moving upward at the wing position than there is at the center position right now. Because we have players like Paul Byron who are who are possible question marks. We have Tatar who may not last beyond the year. We have everyone's favorite punching bag, Arturi Lekinen, who can be anywhere from first line to fourth line, depending on depending on the day. So playing wing, ironically enough, gives you more of a chance to move up into a more of an offensive role and kind of at least imprint in the coach's mind that, okay, yeah, you can, you can score. If I can put you on a scoring line and you can contribute and you're not just a kind of a defensive first single, single minded, single attributed player. I'm seeing this year as a kind of audition for guys like we're, we're going to get to uh, another one of these potential forward line centers in Ryan Paling in a minute. But uh, an audition for these guys, Paling, Evans, potentially Bademo, but I think he's a bit behind the other two, um, to potentially take Philip Dano's position for the 2021-2022 season because of possible future cap situation. Because Philip Dano has already said that he doesn't want to take, uh, well, a pay cut because he feels like he already did that the last time he signed a contract. And I think it will be too expensive on the open market for the Canadians to actually sign because they want to sign Kotkaniemi, because they want to sign other players. Uh, and they've already signed Petrie and Gallagher. So I think that they want to look at someone hopefully someone who is already in the team who can just make the leap and become that third line center. And it would be great if that could be either Evans or Paling and the other one could take the fourth line role, obviously. Indeed. And you mentioned Ryan Paling, who is obviously maybe the front runner for this spot. And uh, for once I have him highest, but I see him as closest to make the team to make the big club. He had a fantastic uh, debut with the club, obviously, against uh, the Leafs in, in, in Bell Center with a shootout winner as well. Um, but he really stagnated last year. 
Yeah, it was uh, it was it was it was interesting to see because I, I think it was just mainly that the um, the expectations became way too high on him. I mean, he he played his first season as a pro. I think he had too high expectations on himself as well that he was expecting to make the team out of training camp and then he got bumped down to Laval and he didn't take it quite the right way maybe um, and. It was just, I think, for a guy who was, he was the MVP in the World Junior Championship the year before. He had played really well at St. Cloud State. And, uh, well, he just excelled, obviously. His debut was just amazing. He's the, if we count the shootout winner, he's the only player together with Austin Matthews who has scored four goals in his first NHL game. But then it was a, a long break. And I think just, it was also a fact that we had... We didn't know what Nick Suzuki was coming into the season. We knew that Kotkaniemi had had a great rookie season. And all of a sudden, it was expected that Paling would maybe take a third-line center spot out of training camp. And then he wasn't quite ready for that. And 13 points in 36 games with Laval and only 2 points in 27 games in the NHL with Montreal is not what you would expect from Paling after that debut. But at the same time, he's still only 21 so it's too late to just say that, well, yeah, it was not a great first season, but it was a first season for him. And um, I expect him to to just balance it out so that uh, there are more realistic expectations to him. Like this season, he can he can come from below and, and punch punch up and uh, and potentially uh, hopefully challenge Jake Evans for that fourth line spot at least. It's always easier to to fight for a spot than to keep it, right? That's possible, yeah. I think Paling... Paling has an advantage over Evans in that Paling does have the pedigree, and I think because of that, he won't have to prove that he can play offensively uh, the same way Evans would have to to get a shot. I think Paling will get his shots in the lineup uh, almost by default, just so that the just because the Habs want to see can he re- can he realize that ceiling that that made him a first round draft pick it might but at the same time i don't think the habs will do it this year i think for paling he needs to go and have a good year in laval he needs to be able to prove himself at the ahl level that he can play a 200 foot game that he can contribute offensively because that's what evans did and i don't think the habs will be looking to move him up unless he rips unless Paling rips up the AHL and basically forces their hand. Paling needs to show the Habs that Paling has nothing really left to prove it at the AHL level, and then I think is when the Habs should bring him back into the AHL. Either that or Jake Evans struggles, of course, and you know we for, we get the team's hand is forced in that way. But I think this year should be viewed for Ryan Paling as a developmental year to get used to the professional game, to get used to the grind, the expectation, and the level of competition, and to, I suppose, have a year with as, as few distractions and as few disruptions as possible. And then we'll see what the result is and then adjust expectations accordingly from there. Is this the biggest challenge for you, Bouchard, yet? To, to make Paling into that player that we all expect him to be? 
depends. Yeah. You go, Nathan. I'm 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 curious. I'm curious personally to how much does Bouchard have to do that? Was the first year a result of Paling being overwhelmed by circumstance, or has he regressed and forgotten a whole pile of things that he that he was able to do back in college, that he was able to do at the World Junior stage, and not, he just has to kind of refine himself, recenter himself. And Bouchard, so I, I mean, this is, I think Bouchard knows that this is his first task too, to recognize exactly what he has to do, whether it's just kind of guide a player back on the right path, or whether there's a lot of teachables that need to be implemented, that a lot of things in Paley's game that need to be corrected. But again, it's, I think, difficult to make that assessment until Paley has a full professional year without all the extra extracurricular events it's also such a different situation it's only three years since he was drafted and it's such a different situation in montreal today um obviously when they drafted him they wanted a top six centerman for the future and now it's more like more or less the top six uh, centermen are locked in so now all of a sudden you're looking for someone who can potentially take that third line spot Considering, like, we, we, if we expect Kotkaniemi and Suzuki to continue developing the way they have looked to develop, yeah, uh, well, at least during the play-in slash playoffs. And I'm also wondering what you said about, like, um, proving them, proving himself in Laval. I wonder if that's more difficult for a former first-round pick who has been decorated, who has played uh, World Junior Championships for, for uh, USA, who has always been seen as this premier talent than it is for someone like Jake Evans, who has always kind of punched up and always like had to prove himself every year, while Ryan Paling has more been able to just live off his talent. And now all of a sudden he has a real challenge going in going in and that's just i I, i've seen far more far more talented players than paling fail to make that kind of acclimatization from being the the top guy to all of a sudden having to yeah just having to um prove yourself on a lesser level it's interesting that you mentioned that because there's been a lot of talk about uh lucas raymond in 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 sweden and, and especially in gothenburg where where i live uh, and the fact that he didn't have a successful year last year before the draft, and he had himself has said that it has been a very important year because it was the first time I struggled and I learned a lot from that and I could build from that and it will help me further down the line. And as you mentioned, has that happened to Paling before? If not, then there is a bit of a mental struggle that you need to deal with. And maybe, as Nathan says as well, that you know, a full year on Laval will benefit him a lot more than than yo-yoing between the teams or or, or just staying uh, with the big team, with the big club, and and watching the games from afar. And I think this is where Bouchard is going to be very very important. In I mean, I think I mean as I said. Bouchard's job is going to depend on what Paling has himself come to realize and whether or not Paling understands that, okay, this is a new level and it's not going to all, it's not all just going to line up like a, like a set of dominoes and it's going to be great and whatever. So how much is Paling willing to work? How much is he willing to 
make the most of his, is he able to make the most of his opportunities? Because he will get opportunities. Certainly in Laval, he will have opportunities. Not to not just to play defense. He will have power point. He'll have power play opportunities. He'll have first line opportunities. He'll get the ice time. That's probably he's more used to back in his collegiate career. He'll play he'll with have, talented players. Yeah. Yeah, because you know that's the other thing. The Laval is the, the Canadiens farm team is not a not what it was before. He'll actually be able to play with players that can complement his skill set. Exactly, and and the question is then, when will AHL start? Because it's been a long, long break for for Paling as well. Yeah. That's an entirely different question outside of the realm of hockey. <laughs> Indeed, it is, but but it's something to consider. And um, sooner or later, we've seen just seen actually. It came out like about an hour ago that. Uh, um, Camp, uh, Philip Camp of uh, Edmonton Oilers has been loaned to Vespi Hockey for, for the remainder of the season. So that's until mid-April, Anton, right? Yeah, probably will be, yeah. Yeah, so so he will be joining Raphael Lavoie uh, and, and uh, in the Swedish uh, second division squad. It's, it's an interesting thing. We see more and more of these AHL-type players that are going for development, that, that seems to be looking into going to different clubs in in Europe. Could Paling do it, the same? It, not impossible. Uh, I don't know if his skill set is best suited for the European game. I don't know if... Maybe that's the other question, in that if you're going to send someone to Europe, it's going to be a year-long commitment. Uh, there's really no point in pulling someone back in January or something from a European loan. And I think the question then is, are the Habs willing to make that commitment? It would get him out of the spotlight as well, I guess. So, well, into the EPR yeah. maybe. Uh, yeah. but, but, but. I, mean, I mean, you can draw a similar comparison to Joe Valeno, who got loaned to Malmo in uh, the Swedish uh, Hockey League for the entire season. Um, basically, Detroit seemed to think that it was better for him to just play without distractions, basically, of knowing whether he should go back to the AHL or whatever, and just focus on playing a full season of senior senior team hockey and, and developing as much as possible. Because, obviously, Belena was a first-round pick in uh, 2018, and during these years yeah during these years you you can't really lose a full year of hockey it's it's important to just play and, and get as much experience as possible and paling is kind of in the same situation so for him it's just all about getting the games wherever he can get them yeah and you see with dominic bach as well he's been loaned back to the shl not to rugla or, or Vecco, but to Jurgården. and and there there seems to be more and more teams looking into this and it would be very interesting to follow obviously with with uh, um, the Swedish teams having a little bit of economic difficulties because there are no crowds yet in the stands. But but let's go over to the new toy, of shine, the new shiny toy, really, in, in, in the Canadian organization, uh, Kaden Goule. Um, I'm going to leave this to you guys. Sure. <laughs> Kaden Gouley. I mean, yeah, he's a, he's a shiny toy because he was a first-round pick, but uh, I think he's a... He's when I when I did the rankings, I put him at number seven, 
Um, we both did. It's like a pair of a pair of sevens. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Justin as well. So obviously the you know the three most intelligent people put him at seven. Uh, <laughs> Are you saying no. that David is the most intelligent of us? Well, he put him at six, so he's even more intelligent, right? No, Which is no, weird, because he yeah. put him at six after spending like the whole week bad-mouthing him. Well, that's David, right? <laughs> he likes the young guys. We know that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we know that. Yeah. Well, I mean, Kate and Goli, it just feels like... Obviously, we don't know that much about him yet. He's just... He, he's had a, he, he had a great sophomore season in the WHL and Prince Albert Raiders, but... Since the WHL hasn't started yet, we haven't been able to see much from him except for the minicamp that uh, the Canada played. And uh, he just projects as a really solid left-handed top four, uh, future top four defenseman who is physical and can skate. Um, who knows what he will be, but going in at number seven as a first-round pick, that's the same as Cole Caulfield had his debut right last year. If yep. I'm not, yeah, okay, Gulli was number eight. I was just thinking about my ranking, so it's slightly lower, but yeah, he was number sixteen, and Caulfield was number fifteen, so that makes sense, right? Uh, Sergachev and Galchenyuk are the top entering the 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 top twenty five under twenty five, and they both entered at number three, and you know one of them has a ring right now, so so I'll be honest with that. Um, <laughs> then we got Shepard at six, Kotkaniemi at six, Caulfield at seven. So yeah. There, there, are, yep. there are some good names there, and, and there's definitely something to look forward to. Hopefully, yeah. I think Gouli is... Um, Gouli is not a... It's, it's a pick that Mark Bergevin could make because of what the Canadians have in the cupboard. Because Gouli's player set, player type, is one that's going to take a couple of years to kind of mature and percolate before he makes an impact that is commiserate with his draft position. Gouli, I think, is a pick, not for, I, won't, I won't say for the long haul, but it's not for the short term either. It's kind of that mid midpoint where you're looking at two, three years where you then you would probably expect him to make a prominent NHL NHL contribution. And it's quite similar, actually, to Alexander Romanov in that regard. I think the idea of Gouli is that, you know, mobile, big, tough defenseman. Joel Edmondson. I said mobile. (laughs) (laughs) With some level of offensive acumen. You know, they don't. They don't come around a lot. Is this Shea Weber's replacement down the line? Well, he doesn't play. I don't think he's not right. He's, no, he's, right he's left. No, he's I meant left. more as the, the the kind of player. I think I it's entirely possible, and you, I think now that with Gouli you have you have Romanov there. Now you get two of them. If if Noah Juleson, I I don't think Noah Juleson will ever really contribute to that extent offensively. But you have a lot of young players who kind of can see older versions of themselves also in the Canadiens lineup. If a Juleson could take over Edmondson's job in two, three years. Uh, if Romanov, I'm pretty sure Romanov can take over Ch- uh, Ben Sherratt's job in three, four years. Something like that, right? If Norlinder can 
beat out Kulak Petri. and Mete and you know, stuff like that. I see more of a Petri, but yeah, I get what you're saying, Nathan. Yep. It's it's you you have these players that that they can look at and be influenced by and and they can show them the ropes when they come over or when they get up in, into the main team. But I think when Guli was selected, there was some argument about, oh, great, another defenseman? Don't we have enough on the left-hand side? And, and it's not about that. It's about knowing that this player won't really come into maturity, NHL-level maturity, for another two, three years, knowing that you're going to have some weakness on the right-hand side in that span and kind of drafting accordingly. And also, you're not, at that position, there weren't many forwards who were going to make an impact at the NHL level in the, you know, this year or next year. So if you weren't going to get an immediate payoff, then there wasn't any point in trying to trying to go for a forward or something like that. And you might, so I, I mean, think, like there was also a level of, of discrepancy there when you looked at, as you mentioned, the forwards and the defenders. This was definitely the best player available, I think. Uh, I think the fact that he he is a couple of years away. Did also was brought into to uh, consideration, but yeah, it's it's interesting to to see that they're really planning ahead, as you described, Nathan. Yeah, they're they're, they're looking at that. But trading down was not really an option either because partly uh, Gulli was was so good, but also mm. the the offensive players that you were looking at were not that good. No, there wasn't a slam dunk player that you could get in like the twenties or the thirties or something like that, and and you could also make the argument that the Canadians had enough picks in the second, you know, second, third, fourth, fifth rounds that adding another one to that list wasn't going to get you anywhere either. Indeed, and no, exactly, and also I feel like at that position, that that is what's been great and what we see on this list as well. It feels like I'm saying it on every podcast, but still, um, that the Canadians have actually built up a good cupboard with prospects in different areas. And you have you have a lot of centermen coming up, you have a lot of defensemen, so you can really go for a best player available at 16, depending on what you like, because it's not important to have that um, to go for the home run hit, which potentially can just be a lame duck. If we look yeah. at a prospect, we're not going to shit on a prospect that we don't know what they will end up being. But if you look at, at players like Maverick Bork and Dawson Mercer and all these guys, there's a reason why they weren't picked in the top 10. And obviously it's the, the same with Gooley, but Gooley is not flashy. That's, I would say, the main reason why he, why he kind of slid. Um, but he projects as a, as a stable top four defenseman going forward. And if he can't make the team if like best case scenario that Weber plays until his contract is up and he's still great and he's 40 years old and <laughs> Pete the same with Petrie and then Norlindra and Romanov comes over and they just take NHL by storm and you don't really have room for Gooley in a top four position yeah then you at least have a few pieces that other teams could be interested in because it feels like Barring a major injury or something, it feels like Caden Gooley will play NHL hockey in the future. And you can't really say that about a lot of players who get picked in the like in the mid-teens uh, normally. Yeah, uh, I yeah. wasn't thrilled about the pick when it happened, but I feel I feel more content now, especially seeing how much Trevor Timmons and Mark Bergevin loved the pick and the whole organization loves him. 
I think I think too that if you look at and it wasn't this way at the draft, but I'm sure they were they were thinking about something. But if you look at the top six, and we, you know, let's let's I don't like this, but let's for the sake of argument put Dano as a third line center because we're talking about future projections. If you look at the top six, you're looking at Suzuki, Kotkaniemi in the middle. You have Toffoli, Anderson, Tatar for the time being, and you've got uh, Brendan Gallagher, of course. There's nothing there, right? There's no openings there. So you draft a Maverick Borg, and he comes up in two years. What are you going to do? Are you going to make him play third line with Deneau? Are you going to make him play fourth line with Jake Evans or Ryan Paling? So what are you going to do with that? Yeah, and I think the Canadians feel like, I mean, after this playoff series, they felt like they have a window. Um, and that's obviously why they went went out hard in free agency and, and traded for guys like Josh Anderson and took Tyler Toffoli on the free agency. And and then you feel like, what can we need? Uh, as you said, Patrick, as well, like uh, Nathan, like what we can need a few years down the line. And really, you can never have enough defenseman and that was something that we desperately saw this year both in the playoffs and during that eight game well both of the eight game losing streaks a few injuries and all of a sudden you have guys like christian feline and xavier olette playing way too much minutes per game still makes me wonder what would have happened in the play and if we had a better option than Willette at the third third rate defense yeah well let's be honest and and uh, i'm not sure everyone knows about it but christian feline uh, tore his uh, acl uh, during training camp and uh, not sure that it would have been an upgrade but but that is one of the reasons why he didn't play he actually just went on ice last week so it's it's interesting to see that as you mentioned uh, could he have had a spot and I think that influenced the, the decision of bringing over you they, they obviously had it spoken with Vedemo as well before that he was going to come over for a while and then they decided to go with defenders instead and I think I, defenders are are maybe more injury prone but also it's it's it was a big discrepancy in the Montreal Canadiens lineup between the second pairing and the third and that is you don't want the third line players to play too much because that's going to influence the outcome of the series obviously now some you get now some of that is because you don't have a Weber and a Petrie on the third pairing and that's a big big thing to overcome but at the same time I think Bergevin has tried for a couple of years going the the waiver, the free agent, the fifth-round draft pick route and trying to assemble almost a taxi squad of third-pairing defenders that way. And outside of Brett Kulak, it hasn't really panned out. Mikey Riley was okay for a while. We got we have Willette, who's serviceable, but not your top option. Uh, and really, those and we have Feline and who's probably not going to be around for much longer. So Paul Alsner. Uh, that was not a that was not a fifth round draft pick, although I wish it was. <laughs> Anyways. But it, yeah. It's 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 been a pleasure uh having you on, Nathan. I, I hope you join us for another one further down the line. Uh hopefully when the season is on as well. Uh, <laughs> Anton, it's it's always great to hear your voice. Um everyone. Um we're going into different um, seasons, holiday seasons. Uh, we got into uh, where we want to meet up with our parents and, and grandparents. Make sure to do it in a good way and, and stay safe, everyone, because uh, we might see... It's not, it's not the beginning of the end, but it might be the end of the beginning. As a wise man 
once said during the World War II. Nathan, once more, thank you for joining us. Uh, listen to Half Size. <laughs> listen to Eyes on the Price Radio. Uh, ask us questions on Twitter. Ask us questions in the comments. We will listen whenever we can and we'll get back to you as soon as we can as well. Thank you. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.